listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. But uh, so good to be with you here today. Well, we've been in this Broken Heroes series for a few months now, and I don't know about you, but I have found this to be incredibly encouraging uh, because it means there's hope for me. (laughs) It means there's hope for me. God wants to use me. He wants to use you as you are, as we are, in all of our messiness, with all of our flaws and all of our foibles and and all of the, the things about us that are not as they should be. Just like he used Moses the murderer, David the adulterer, Thomas the doubter. We've been discovering that human weakness is not actually a barrier to God. Instead, he loves us in the midst of all of our frailty. He forgives us, he changes us, and he uses our story, our witness in powerful ways to impact others for the kingdom of God. These great heroes of the faith, they don't stand on some other higher plain than the rest of us. They were human, and we're all in the same boat. And there's incredible encouragement in discovering that. Well, today we're going to zoom in on Joseph and his dysfunctional family. And as I look out and I survey the congregation, I'm greatly encouraged to, to hear that you took my advice and brought all of your own dysfunctional families as well. Thank you so much for doing that. Mine is here too. We're going to have a good time together. Uh, Here's the text. It's really all of Genesis 37, but I'm just going to read the first 11 verses. It's kind of a long chapter. So first 11 verses of Genesis uh, 37, and I'll ask you to rise for the reading of God's Word. Genesis 37, beginning at verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Israel was just another name for Jacob. He loved Joseph any more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made a robe of many colors for him. But his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his brother and to his, to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. 
But his father kept the saying in mind. So that's the first 11 verses. And just to kind of summarize the rest of the chapter, what happens is Joseph's brothers, they capture him. You may know how this story goes. They sell him to the Ishmaelites. He ends up in slavery in Egypt. And uh, Joseph's brothers, what they do is uh, they take Joseph's coat of many colors and uh, they lie to their father about it. They actually kill a goat. They dip the, the coat into the blood of the goat, bring it to their dad, and they're like, well... I guess he was killed by wild animals. So they lie to their dad, and uh, Jacob goes into mourning. Meanwhile, Joseph gets sold to Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh. So let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us. I pray that you would speak to our hearts here this morning. God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of everyone's hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Joseph's dysfunctional family. Where do we even start with this one? I grew up in a family with six kids, so I've witnessed and perpetrated, depending on who you ask, my fair share of sibling rivalry. But I got to tell you, I've never done anything so bad that my siblings wanted to sell me into slavery. That is yet, that never happened. One time I did lock my brother outside of the house. He was not very pleased about this, and as a result, he ended up getting his own room. That's a different story. Uh, we can talk later. But Joseph's story is on a whole other level. His family was just riddled with dysfunction. I mean, can you imagine if they made a Leave it to Beaver episode about Joseph and his family, right? How would this go down? Well, Wally and Eddie Haskell trap the beeve in an empty septic tank because Ward loves beeve more. Then they lie to June about it, and the episode ends with June crying over her supposedly dead boy who was torn to bits by a stray dog. Roll credits, cue theme song. The story of Joseph is worlds away from the ideal family we sometimes envision. But let's be honest here. Joseph was kind of asking for it, right? He was a tattletale. He went to his dad and was snitching on his, his brothers. And snitches in general do not get treated very well, as we know. So already there's this seed of, of pride there in, in Joseph. And he has these two dreams. And in the first dream, all of his brother's sheaves bow down to his sheaf. And the second one, the sun, moon, and stars are bowing down to him. Now, We've all had wacky dreams, right? We can share some stories about this, I'm sure. Uh, but you don't always tell your wacky dreams to everyone, do you? Like, that's just generally a good rule of thumb. But for some reason, Joseph thinks this is really important that my family know all about this. And they respond about the way we would expect. Jealousy, anger, rebuke. They hate him even more. But the truth is, it's not all Joseph's fault, is it? Part of it is the way he was raised. The text says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons. Joseph was his dad's favorite. And we all kind of know what this is like, right? You ask your parents, well, and they'll tell you, oh, I, love all of, I love all of you the same. Come on, Mom and Dad, right? You know what this is like. Anybody here with, with, with siblings today? Raise your hand. I want you on the count of three to point to the sibling that you know is your mom and dad's favorite. Okay, we'll just get out there. One, two, three. 
I see that hand. I see that hand. We know it, right? Now, Parenting 101, don't play favorites. Like, if Jacob wrote a book on parenting, I would not buy it. Here's the thing. The problem, though, didn't start with Jacob. It goes even further back. Remember, Jake, Jacob's dad was who? He was Isaac. And Isaac played favorites, too. Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? But the problem didn't start with Isaac either because you go back another generation, you'll see that Isaac himself grew up in a dysfunctional family too. Remember his mother, Sarah, she mistreated her, her servant, Hagar. And what did Abraham do about that whole thing? Not a whole lot. He kind of just let it unfold. And so he was a firsthand, he had firsthand seats, a front row seat to the whole thing, Isaac did. And, and earlier in Abraham's life, remember this story, out of Abraham's own insecurity, he gave his wife to Pharaoh to save his own skin, letting her live with him in his harem. When I do premarriage counseling, I generally counsel against this sort of thing. And today we have a specific word to describe someone who does this. Also, Isaac grew up with this weird sibling rivalry with his half-brother Ishmael, which both sets of parents fed. Right? They were both up against one another. Isaac was the child of promise. Ishmael was the son of the slave woman. So the story of Jacob is really the story of, excuse me, the story of Joseph is actually the story of a, a tree, a family tree, a very dysfunctional family tree. You can't tell Joseph's story without telling about the generations that came before. Joseph's story is messy. Throughout this incident in Genesis 37, we see sibling rivalry play out between Joseph, the golden boy, and his brothers. There's jealousy, kidnapping, cruelty, a murder plot, lies, grief, betrayal, hatred, contempt, and the list goes on. Families can be a strange thing, can't they? They're a gift. They are a blessing. They bring out the best in us. But often they bring out the worst in us too. Because your family is the ones that witness you while you're at your worst behavior. Every family is dysfunctional because it's made up of dysfunctional people. In other words, sinners. Ethan Richardson says this about families. I think this is a helpful comment as we enter into this discussion of, of family. He says, every home, home is its own molecular structure of dysfunction, a physical reminder that you are born under a larger umbrella organization. There are certain codes of conduct, certain ways of communicating or not communicating, certain predispositions to freckles or spicy foods or hand-eye clumsiness. For better or worse, this place is your first and often most influential institution of, quote, professional development. Weirdly, you never submitted your resume to this office. <laughs> you see what he's saying, right? We didn't ask to be part of the families that we were born into, and yet we're inextricably linked together. Maybe you have your mom's eye. You know, maybe you have your dad's laugh. Maybe you have your grandpa's quick temper or your grandma's stubbornness. 
Or maybe from a very early age, for some reason, everybody always seemed to feel the need to remind you that you have your grandpa's forehead, which as a third grader, you don't know how to respond to those kind of comments. Anybody here? Just me? That's fine. I can live with that. Sometimes the issues we have in our families, immediate or extended, are hard to talk about, aren't they? There's just so many layers and years of history, and they're so close to the bone. The wounds our families carry are often the most tender. There's that son or daughter maybe you haven't spoken to in decades. There's the mother-in-law you can't stand, but you're too scared to say anything to your spouse because it will just make things worse. There's the workaholic father who's never there for you. There's the daughter who never calls. There's that one sibling who never seems to pull their weight. There's the alcoholic uncle who can't keep it together, just keeps falling off the wagon. And you don't know where that line is anymore between support and enablement. There's the codependent mom. There's the hidden sin, the elephant in the room that everyone knows about but no one wants to talk about. Maybe it's verbal abuse or infidelity or addiction. And there's always that one relative who communicates all of their political views solely via bumper sticker and Facebook posts. There's the uncle who makes everyone uncomfortable with his jokes. There's the father-in-law who never thought you were good enough for his daughter and whose approval you'll never earn despite how much you crave it. Family dysfunction takes many different forms. And here's something that I found really interesting as I was kind of researching, preparing for today. Did you know that Jesus had a dysfunctional family too? He had a very dysfunctional earthly family. It's true. He had a, a big family, four to six siblings. We don't know exactly for sure. Now, maybe it's the case that Jesus' family, like his brothers and sisters, were totally different from every other human being in Galilee at the time. I tend to think uh, that they were humans, so that probably wasn't the case. But I mean, you think about some of the questions. Did Jesus' brothers ever tease him? Did his sisters ever bring home a boy that Joseph didn't ever approve of? Did Mary and Joseph ever drop their kid off and forget him? Actually, yes. That one we know happened. See Luke 2, 41 through 52. So by the way, parents, next time you forget your kid somewhere, you have a good excuse here. You just point to the, to the past and you'd be like, well, you know, Mary and Joseph, they did this to Jesus, so really, you're becoming more like Jesus, so you're welcome. Um, <laughs> Jesus' family also didn't agree with his life choices. They didn't condone his teaching. They didn't believe him. They, they even thought he was out of his mind. He and his siblings may have even grown up without a father. Now, we don't know this for certain, but a lot of scholars speculate that because Joseph doesn't appear after the birth narratives, uh, there's a chance, a good chance, he may have died fairly early on. How would that have affected their family dynamics? Well, statistics tell us not in a very good way. And all of this adds another layer to Hebrews 4.15, which says that we have a great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. Because Jesus experienced family dysfunction firsthand. Which one of these should I be? Um, so the thing about our earthly 
family is that even on their best days, they're fractured images of our heavenly families, aren't they? That's certainly the case with Joseph's family in today's text. But the story of Joseph is more than just about Joseph because there are things in Joseph's story in particular, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you'll notice that there are a number of important parallels here. A number of things that indicate that this is just one chapter in some bigger, grander narrative that doesn't end with the Old Testament but foreshadows something yet to come. See if any of these details in Joseph's story ring a bell. Joseph's brothers sell him for 20 pieces of silver. Who else do we know that was sold for a number of pieces of silver? In the story of Potiphar's wife, Joseph flees from temptation. Who else spends time in the wilderness defeating temptation? Also in the same story, Joseph is unjustly accused and sentenced to punishment. Who else was unjustly accused and suffered punishment. And finally, when Joseph gets thrown into prison, he helps Pharaoh's cupbearer, even though he eventually forgets about Joseph. Who else rescues people from slavery at great cost to themselves? Joseph bears up under all of his suffering willingly until decades later when his circumstances are reversed and Pharaoh gives him this, this really important position in his kingdom. Joseph finally confronts his brothers about what they did to him, and you would expect the biggest smackdown in the world, but he says something that's absolutely mind-blowing. Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph says, As for you, you meant evil against me. God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, Joseph recognized that his suffering was used by God for something greater, much like Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Joseph's brothers deserve his wrath. They trembled in fear that he was going to judge them according to their sins, but instead of punishment, Joseph gave them something else. Joseph's brothers said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. But Joseph's response rocked their world. He says, Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted and spoke kindly to them. Like Jesus, Joseph offered forgiveness. God offers forgiveness to you too this morning. Did you know that? No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God's grace is greater than your sin, and He invites you to receive that forgiveness today. He wants to deliver His grace to you. One of the things that we do here at Elam, we do this on a monthly basis, is we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We celebrate communion. Family meals are important, and in a very real way, the Lord's Supper is kind of the family meal of the church. It's one of the places we can always come to find mercy in our time of need, to, to taste and see and not just hear that the Lord is good. 
So the only question that ultimately matters this morning is, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? And maybe you think, well, I don't know. Like, how do I know if I'm hungry enough? How do I know if I'm thirsty enough? How do I know if I'm good enough for the Lord's table? But I invite you to think about it like this. Hunger and thirst are not things we work up by ourselves. You don't get hungry and thirsty by trying really hard to get hungry and thirsty. You get hungry and thirsty simply by lacking something, food and water. The same is true spiritually. To hunger and thirst for righteousness means you lack righteousness. So do you recognize that this morning? Do you recognize that you lack righteousness? And do you hunger and thirst for the righteousness that only Jesus can provide? And if that's you, you are welcome at the table today. Friends, our ultimate identity rests securely not in our earthly families, but in God's family where we are perfectly beloved sons and daughters. That is our true home. That's where we really belong. I love what Chad Bird says about this. He has a great quote. He says, The house that builds each of us, fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, is the house of grace built from the wood of a Roman cross, decorated with the holiness of the Spirit, and inhabited by the Father who holds us all in His lap of mercy. Isn't that good? Holds us in His lap of mercy. See, in God's family, there's no sibling rivalry because, as Paul says in Galatians 3, 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There are no more prodigal sons or daughters because our Father has had mercy on us all. He set an open seat at the table this morning. Will you come and join the feast? Let's pray. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.